2: Legends are made in the NFL, and the quest for the Lombardi Trophy continues.
0: Brady moving and looking and has time, and he throws, and then he's
2: forced for a touchdown. Intercepted by Wilford. Vince Wilford with a game changer. You're listening to Patriot's Beat. Two minutes, second down and six.
1: Brady, the throw, and complete. First down.
3: Right here on clnsradio.com. Well, good afternoon, Patriots Nation, and welcome to CMS Radio's Patriots Beat. I am your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy, on Twitter. Joining me will be Bob Snowden, at Snowden Bob. You can follow us on Twitter at, at CLS Radio, and of course on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash CNS Radio. Being Easter and all, and a happy Easter to our fans that celebrate it. This is a pre-recorded show with some great interviews. Today, we have a sit-down with myself, Boss, and Bobby Kupersky about the NFL Draft. And we are also joined by NFL Network's Path to the Draft man himself, Daniel Jeremiah. Very, very exciting things going on today on the Patriots Beach Show. So we'll be not taking any call-in numbers. But of course, if you missed this or any other great CLNS radio program, you can download them for free on iTunes by searching www.iTunes.com slash CNS Radio. And, of course, if you're one of the lucky people out there who have a smartphone, and there are a lot of you out there who do have a smartphone, I myself have a smartphone even though I'm not that smart, you can, of course, download the Stitcher app by www.stitcher.com and then searching the CNS Radio app. Check us out there. Without further ado, let's get to what happens this week on Patriots Beat.
2: Well, continuing our draft discussion, we got the Patriots Beat team together earlier this week and, and and decided to discuss when our draft memory started. The, The NFL draft has been going on for a long time and ESPN in the early 1980s, late 1970s, decided to broadcast the NFL draft and it has become a media mogul now, ESPN and the draft got them there. So, Bobby, let me ask you this first. What is your memories of your first draft and and everything along the lines of what went in the draft? What got you to think about watching the draft?
0: Well, the first draft that I can distinctively remember watching was the 2003 NFL draft where they used to broadcast at that time on Saturday afternoons. They would do the first and I believe the second round as well, if not more. And two of the more distinct picks from that year were Andre Johnson, who watching that Miami Hurricanes team, I thought he was going to be an absolute stud, and of course he's turned out to be one. Terrence Newman was also a prominent name in that draft. The Patriots didn't pick until the second round where they came away with Eugene Wilson, who was pretty good for a while and then kind of flamed out. So that was the first one that I can distinctively recall watching.
2: All right, and Bob Snowden, on to you, the same question, and you cannot say autogram. <laughs> All right. Uh, How about Babe Pirelli? Can I I throw him in there? The first uh, quarterback in New England Patriots history, Babe Pirelli?
1: (laughs) My my memory of the draft, and, and, you know, I was in the cable business for a long time, both radio and cable, and I was in the cable industry when ESPN finally decided, uh, you know, they were going to do the draft, and everybody thought they were crazy, including Pete Rozelle. It was funny, the – Quick story, Roselle was approached by ESPN and asked if they could do the draft, and his reaction was, what the hell do you want to do that for? No one's going to watch that. Well, obviously, Roselle was a genius in a lot of areas, but he certainly wasn't in in what would evolve from the draft. And my first memory of the draft was, you know, early when it started. I mean, 1980 was – was the year that it really got kicked off in full bloom. And ESPN used to send out. And, again, everybody needs to keep in mind, ESPN, right now, everybody thinks ESPN has been there forever. But they really, when they started, they were small, they were small-time, and they were trying to get viewers, and one of their triggers was the draft. And they would actually, you could contact them, and I don't even know how, whether whether you you did it on the internet cuz even the internet wasn't that big back then or you wrote to them or something but there was a way that you could get them to send you their draft chart and it was absolutely free and you would and it had one group of players the 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 players that were expected to be drafted and then there were blank spots next to each team and you literally as they picked filled in the draft and i remember doing that i remember sitting at home Bobby kind of like you mentioned it was on Saturday afternoon, and it rolled over uh, to Sunday. took forever, but they were more rounds back then than they do in the draft now. Uh, so, you know, they, I, I want to say it was 12 rounds, something like I, that. I believe you're right yeah. when the first draft came out.
2: Not first draft, but the first televised yeah. draft. Was, so it took it was a lot longer,
1: rounds. and it took a lot longer between picks because in reality ESPN wanted to fill time. So they they weren't unhappy it was taking longer between picks. And it was Bob Lee, Lee, Lay. I'm not sure. Bob Lee. Lee, yeah. That was actually the host the first year. So my first memory was that first year. And the second year, I actually had to work. And my wife was assigned to sit home and watch the draft <laughs> <laughs> until I get off of work. So, and then when I get off of work, I'd take over. So she had to sit there. And look, player by player through the draft. Uh, That's
2: that's love. uh, love And she
1: she kids about it. We kid about it now. But it's amazing because no one prior to then, you know, you followed your own team, but you really didn't pay that much attention to the draft. It's become an ESPN event and has become so big now that you can't imagine having the draft without ESPN and now the NFL Network. Covering the draft from the beginning to the end and, you know, doing all of their little hype during the show and the players that they think should go in certain positions. And uh, it just has evolved from that first year when it was basically, I, there were like three or four guys that were handling it for them. Uh, and it was a very small event. So my, my biggest memory was that first year, two years, when it was on Saturday and ESPN was trying to get viewers And that was one of their big hooks. My first
2: memory of the NFL draft, my my cousin Bobby, actually, he was a good three or four years older than I am. And she's actually actually almost three years to the day. And he was really big into football. And and being the younger cousin, I wanted to, you know, be into football with him. And I remember we sat down, and it was probably, uh, I want to say it was 1984. I want to say or 85, I can't remember. But I remember the Patriots – had the one of the higher picks in the draft, and they ended up trading it to the San Francisco Forty ers who ended up getting Jerry Rice instead of instead of you know the Patriots getting him. And it, I remember thinking, oh well, wow, what what is this all about? And he's sitting there, and he's got this you know this board out, and he's got all these magazines. I mean, you know, six dollars a magazine, and he's out, he's crossing things off, and. You know, he's reading things, and 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 after that, I really got into it to the fact where, before it, it moved on to a, a Thursday night, Friday night, and and then Saturday during the day, is that basically I, I would sit there from uh, from 11 a.m. on Saturday till 7 p.m. on Sunday, watching all 17 hours of the draft with you know a hoagie and uh, and a and a Ice cold Pepsi at one time, and then Budweiser as I got older. It was just crazy times how how it how it's evolved, and now it's you know it's a primetime event on, on on ESPN as well as NFL
1: networks. Well, and one of the things too, Jeff, back in the earlier days, I'm going back to 1980, the quarterbacks, although they've always been important, you didn't see them necessarily be the one number one pick. In 1980, it was Billy Sims who was you know a great running back out of Oklahoma. But he I, was, think I
0: don't know who Billy <laughs> Sims is. <laughs> you, Bobby, do you have any idea who Billy Sims is? I don't know who Billy Sims is, but what <laughs> I can say is that it speaks to the evolution of the game where in the earlier days, passing and certainly the deep ball were not as prominent. It was much more of a ground and pound game.
2: God, I missed those times. It, I know.
0: Really uh, uh, well, and, and
1: you would have been real happy in 1980 because the number five pick was Curtis Dickey, another running back. Uh, who more from Texas A and and the Pats' first pick that year was a was a defensive back cornerback. If I remember right, Roland James.
2: Roland James is a name from the past, definitely. Let me ask you uh, you both this. We'll start with uh, Bobby first. Uh, you're you're obviously been watching the draft a little less than myself, and uh, a lot less than Mr. Bob Snowden <laughs> here. But, um, <laughs> and sorry, Bob. No, that's but okay. Your 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 favorite. Patriots draft pick over the last, since you've been watching, and you can't say Tom Brady because no one thought Tom Brady was a great pick.
0: No, I won't go with Tom Brady. I think my favorite Patriots draft pick would have to be Vince Wilfork. Watching that uh, tape when he got picked and being familiar with him in college, I knew that they had nailed that pick. And then you see the tape when his name gets announced, and he is just dominating guys, beating double teams. I was very excited about that selection, knowing what he could do as a significant presence on the interior of the defensive line. And it was crazy when
2: he was drafted, because he was expected to be a top 10 pick coming out of Miami, and he just kept falling, and he kept falling, and he kept falling. And I remember sitting there, and I'm like, this is a top 10 player falling. And you know, I had thought that the Patriots were definitely going to go get Steven Jackson, who was, you know, the running back out of uh, Oregon State, and a lot of people thought he would too. But then they traded a couple of days before the draft in 2003, or 2004, my my fault, for Corey Dillon. So the need for a running back wasn't there. And all of a sudden you have Vince Wilfork, and t- 10 years later, unbelievable. It, it's, just, it's just crazy how the draft can work and how people can fall. You see a guy like... Aaron Rodgers, who fell to the number 24 pick overall a couple years ago. It's crazy when you have these talents fall the way they did.
1: Bob Snowden, your your favorite Patriots draft pick. Well, it's going to be back when the Patriots were terrible. Uh, 1993, they had the first round pick, uh, the first pick in the first round, and Drew Bledsoe. And the fear was that they were going to draft. There was actually some controversy over who would be picked first. Uh, Rick Meyer, who was a bomb out of Notre Dame.
0: Thank God they didn't.
1: And thank God, yeah, because, I mean, Meyer, I think he had one good year, maybe two good years, and never really turned into a quarterback. So it would be Drew Bledsoe. The the Patriots prior to that had been so bad, and it was like he was the leader. And he was. People forget that. Uh, People talk a lot about, and I do too, Tom Brady and how great he has become. But in reality, Bledsoe was a great quarterback for the Patriots. He, you know, led them to a Super Bowl, uh, and the team really that was kind of their turnaround when they drafted Bledsoe. So it would be him in in the nineteen eighty or nineteen ninety three draft. So,
2: so I remember that
1: vividly. He actually kind of took it, took it out, out of my
2: uh, my eyes there because so I was sitting going, there going remembering that draft, and I was sitting there going. Please please take, take Bloodsoe. Please, please take Bloodsoe. Please please take Bloodsoe. I didn't want Rick Meyer and seeing that uh Philip was well coming out back, you know, back to be the doing be the, the Patriots head coach, I thought that he would definitely go with the more cerebral pick, the, the, the quarterback that had the, the bigger resume at Notre Dame and he would be the, the guy, the more Phil Sims guy instead of the, the, the Dan Marino that uh, that he was. But when they picked Bloodsoe and there's three people in in this world that saved the New England Patriots from moving to St. Louis and and they have Robert Kraft, Drew Bledsoe, and, and Bill Parcells. And and the three of them, the trifecta kept them uh, in New England. So seeing that I can't take that pick because, because, because you stole it from me. Well, I didn't know you were going there. (laughs) How can I not go in there? I'm I'm a guy (laughs) in his mid thirties. Drew Bledsoe was like the greatest thing known to man uh I actually have a signed Drew Bledsoe rookie jersey uh it says number 1 pick overall and uh so yeah so I'm going to have to say if I had to go back now and without picking Drew Bledsoe uh my favorite uh doing a Patriots pick uh of, of all time uh would have to be a man that they unfortunately got hurt and was out out of the NFL for a little too long that was Robert Edwards um Robert Edwards of course uh, he was drafted with the 18th overall pick, I believe, or 21st overall. I'll have to go back and look at that. By the New England Patriots in the 1998 draft. I'm sorry, 19, uh, yeah, 1998 draft. Um, behind uh, Curtis Enos, who was also picked in the first round that year, and Fred Taylor, who was picked in the first round that year. And they selected him, a run back out of Georgia. And he came out and he had 1,200 yards uh, rushing in his rookie year. And unfortunately, uh, absolutely almost lost his leg playing on the beach in Hawaii, and I loved, love that kid. And a close second goes to Andy Katzenmoyer. I was so excited when they drafted Andy Katzenmoyer. I was doing backflips. I went to the uh, Patriots Pro Shop and bought a number 59 Andy Katzenmoyer jersey. So that shows you what kind of draft geek I was. And, and unfortunately for Katzenmoyer, he also got hurt. Uh, with a neck injury and, and,
1: and retired shortly after the 2000 or 2001 season. And the red and the Edwards scenario, if you remember, and I'm sure you do, Jeff, he was at the Pro Bowl. That's where he ended up getting hurt. Yes, the flag, flag football, football game. Yep, the rookies played a sand uh, flag football game. And, and you, you can still find a video of it online. It's kind of scary. Uh, it's
2: crazy when you look at it because Peyton Manning is actually – in the video, he's playing on that field. Imagine the the difference of two franchises. Had you know Peyton Manning been the one that did that to his knee? I mean, it, it's it's just crazy that 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 happened. Moving on with uh, with our draft here is I gotta know what do you guys think? Uh, what are the Patriots gonna do in the first round? Bobby, we'll go with you first.
0: There's a lot of interesting prospects it's certainly a deep draft and there is a variety of needs that the team could address one guy who they may have to trade up to get so i don't think it's realistic but a name to keep an eye on is kelvin benjamin 6'5 wide receiver from florida state i also see a lot of draft experts talking about the prospect of selecting Rashid hegemon who's a
2: yes Minnesota. Yes,
0: very gifted defensive lineman can play a variety of positions, most known as being a defensive tackle. He has a lot of natural abilities they would need to develop. He's still very raw and there's questions about his motor, but in terms of what he's blessed with, there's a lot to work with.
1: Bob Stone, and your ideas of what the Patriots need to uh, go after? Well, they need a lot of things, none desperately. I think the team as it is now is, is pretty solid, but there are some holes to be filled. Um, and I know we have talked many times about the offensive and defensive line. I kind of like Stefan Truitt out of Notre Dame, the defensive tackle. Big guy, 6'6, 304. Um, you know, he can play that nose tackle, he can, he can get the pass rush. Uh, good athleticism. He did not have a good 2013, which means he'll drop in the draft a little bit and could very well be there for the Patriots. Uh, So I kind of like him. I I think he's one of those positions. And and I know Jeff, you and I talk all the time. You think I'm going to pick a tight end and I think you're going to pick alignment. And we kind of flip flop that a little bit this past (laughs) Sunday, but I I like through it. I think that he could fill that gap uh, that, that, is gonna be there with Wilford, cause I'm, I'm not convinced, uh, as much as I am a Vince Wilford fan, I'm not convinced that he is anywhere near the player he was three years ago, and even last year before he got hurt. Um, sorry guys, but I, I just, he was not playing well. They were stopping the run. They were doing things defensively, but he was getting pushed. And and that was the first time I'd ever seen people manhandling him. So I, I think they need someone that's ready to step in fairly quickly and tutor under him. Uh and it's the guy that I would pick.
2: All right, well you can go with that. I uh, I, you know, also like defensive linemen and I really like offensive linemen. Um but as I said on Patriots beat last week, um, I think that they probably trade out of that number uh twenty nine pick. But if they stay, I I'd like to see uh, Truett's teammate uh, Lewis Nix be drafted. Uh, my gem that I would love to see the Patriots go after if they trade it back a little bit is Austin uh, Jenkins out of the tight end out of Washington. I I, I love that kid. I just think he could be phenomenal uh, in the Patriots system. But I think that you're right, Bob, and they need to go with a, a defensive tackle or some sort of thing. And, and and Bobby, the fact that you're going after a wide receiver in Benjamin. Uh, certainly could cause some matchup nightmares. It would be uh, extremely, extremely interesting to see if that was to happen. The final thing for both of you guys is I want to know who uh, who picks number one. We know it's right now Houston Texans are on the clock. They could trade it. They could keep it. Who picks and who do they pick? Bobby, will go with you.
0: I am very impressed. You can say whatever you want about the season he had and that. He's not doing any more workouts, but Jadavian Clowney, to me, is a generational-type player. I think in the NFL, he's going to be a stud with all of his athletic abilities. And I was just watching today, Teddy Bruschi pointed out, for all those that question his motor, some terrific plays he made from this season where he would chase down running backs on the opposite side. He would get cut, get up, and make the tackle, and effort plays that he made throughout the season, even though people continue to criticize him for his lack of effort and took that into questions about his character and how it would translate into the NFL once he gets paid, I think the Texans ultimately end up pairing him with J.J. Watt rather than forcing a quarterback like Blake Bortles or Johnny Football.
1: Mr. Snow, I'm with Bobby 100%. I, I, if they don't take Clowney, I think they're crazy. Uh, yeah, there are people talking about his motor. My son happens to live in South Carolina and is a big USC fan. He goes to about half their games and watches them and follows them. And He's raved about Clowney over the last two years. I've only seen him when his games are on TV. And he's, he's had some really great games, and he's had some other games that I wasn't overly impressed. But he gets double teamed. I mean, every team that's going against South Carolina – is going knowing he's their guy, and if they double team him, they've got a better shot at moving the ball offensively. So I, I agree with you on clowning and I think that they'll trade somewhere either later in the first round, Bobby and, and Jeff, to to get a quarterback. Uh, and I had even mentioned Sunday that there's you know off the, there's, there's a lot of quarterbacks out there this year, and all of them seem to have a question mark or two somewhere in their history or what they've done. Uh, and, you know, I'd love to see the Pats trade their first-round pick uh, to Houston, which is a natural, you know, the people all know each other. They've worked together. Houston is basically the New England Patriot itself. Uh So it, it, I wouldn't be shocked to see them make that trade because I think the Pats are going to trade out of the first round, too. If they trade with someone like Houston, heck, that doesn't drop them that far. Uh, and And into the second round, so I still think they can get the players we 've talked about early in the second round and which is one of the reasons jeff i didn 't mention Nick's because I like Nicks a lot too. I just don 't think he's going to be there
2: mm, yeah, he could go he could go a little earlier. I agree with both of you guys that I think that uh clowny is he, he, he's, he's the best thing to come along in the nfl since since really mario williams he's got that type of ability and of course. The Houston Texans selected Mario Williams last time they had the first pick in the draft. Instead of going after a guy like Reggie Bush, they went on the uh, defensive side of the ball, and he anchored their defensive line for, for many years. And I think, uh, Bobby, you hit it on the head when you said uh, putting Watt with Clowney. Can you imagine the, uh, w- what they would be able to do there? It would be unbelievable. Uh, the quarterback position, I mean, right now, they definitely need a quarterback. Uh, Blake Bortles seems to be growing a little bit on people to seem to be the guy that will be taken first overall. Uh, Johnny Football, you know, people are thinking, oh, will he be there, won't he be there, we'll see. But there's other guys out there. I mean, if I'm the Houston Texans, I think the best fit for their system, thinking that they're going to run what the Patriots did, is the guy from Fresno State in uh, in Derek Carr. Of course, Houston Texans fans are probably going to go, no, no, because they selected David Carr, <laughs> you know, first overall in the, in the 2002 when he was a colossal bust, a poor guy, you know. He probably could have been a great quarterback. They just couldn't protect him. It was impossible. I mean, we saw the same thing happen in 2000 uh, and, uh, 2001 or, 2000, I'm sorry, 1999 when the Cleveland Browns came back, and they selected Tim Couch out of Kentucky. Everyone thought he would be one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live coming out of Kentucky, and they just couldn't protect him either. These guys, these poor guys, if you don't have people to protect them, uh, they're gone. But I, I wouldn't think that Carr's gone, Carr could be gone, but I could see them getting a uh, a good player later on in maybe the first pick of the second round. So we'll we'll see where it goes there. Um, final questions for, for both of you, and I know I already said that, but final questions for both of you, because there is a you know the intriguing name of, of Johnny Manziel. Who ends up drafting him? Is he a good player in
0: the NFL, and how far does he
2: slip, or how high does he go? Bobby, you're first.
0: The most honest answer I can give you is, I have no idea if he's going to be good or not in the NFL. There's a lot of things that lead me to believe he won't be, but he's clearly a smart player and an athletic player. He scored a 32 on the Wonderlick, which is a testament to that. But I think his athleticism is mitigated at the NFL level. A lot of people like to compare him to Brett Favre. I think Brett Favre was not only bigger – but had a stronger arm than Manziel does. So I question how he's going to translate to the NFL level. And, Jeff, another quarterback to keep an eye on for the Texans and why they may not want to trade with the Patriots at the top of the second round is Jimmy Garoppolo from Eastern Illinois, who a lot of scouts are very impressed with and think you can win with him. So if he gets in Bill O'Brien's system and he can develop him and get him to thrive – then that could be a successful pick at the top of the second round, while still taking Clowney number one. Mr.
2: Snowden,
1: I,
0: I'm not a big, big fan of Johnny Football,
1: um, and I think he has been dropping. In some ways, he went up when he had that really good workout, but I still have a lot of question marks about him. I, you know, I was watching a special the other day. Uh, on uh, oh and I'm going to draw a blank here. God, this is terrible. Uh, the quarterback for Oakland that was drafted that his dad had Todd it, yeah, and you know he was Johnny Football coming out of high school, going into college, and fell apart because of the pressure. Uh, and I'm not I'm not sure you know Manziel won't cave under the pressure, uh, especially if he goes to a, a, a city that has. The opportunities and quarterbacks being quarterbacks they get wined and dined everywhere. If he goes somewhere like New York or California, one of the California teams, Oakland or you know, one of one of the teams that is in a town that's a party town, I'm not too sure he has the self discipline uh to to be able to carry it off. I also worry about his size. I don't think that's a killer, but I do think he's small for a quarterback. What is he, five 11 or 6, right at 6 feet, if I remember right. So I, I think he's going to slide. Now, you know, Cleveland is a team I'm hearing may be interested in him. You know, Cleveland's got a history of, of drafting quarterbacks who don't make it, so he probably <laughs> drafted by Cleveland. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of him. One of the other players we didn't mention, the other quarterbacks, and maybe you did and I just didn't catch it, was Bridgewater. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, yeah. Yeah, who's also among that, that group that they kind of put together Uh, Most draft experts and and list those four: uh, Manziel, Bortles, uh, Bridgewater, and Carr that you mentioned as the four QBs coming out. Uh, But I don't see any of them that to me are step in and and move a franchise.
3: Yeah,
2: I just don't see that myself. The way I look at Johnny Manziel is, I I, I just I know he scored you know a thirty. what you say was, Bobby? 32. 30? 32, which is very good on the Wonderlick test. That's, I mean, that's <laughs> excellent on the Wonderlick test. I, I just wonder about his maturity. I mean, there was controversy with him last year about, you know, selling his autograph, this and that. And, you know, now he's branding the name Johnny Football and the house that Johnny built it. There's just so much going around him. I, I wonder, you know, is he going to have a Ryan Leaf type of snap in the, in the locker room? I, I just, I don't think he's... Gonna be that great of a quarterback. I, I, unfortunately, you know he seems like he's probably a nice kid and you know he probably works hard, but I don't see him being a a great uh, a great quarterback in in this league. And if I'm gonna look back and think of anyone that uh, you know can go out and get him, I, I think it's I think it's Cleveland that, that takes him. If not Cleveland, then I, I think the Minnesota Vikings go out and take him. So
1: we'll see what happens there. But I mean, there are a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. There's no two ways about that. I mean, uh, and desperately need quarterbacks. And, you know, there's there's the Patriot fans that keep saying, well, gee whiz, why can't we then get rid of Mallett who's going into the final year of his contract and, and get a second or third round pick? You're not going to get it for, for Mallett, unfortunately, if he had shown the ability to play well in the preseason games and really stand out maybe, but not now. He hasn't really shown much of anything in any of the preseason games. He'll probably latch on with someone next year, but I don't see anyone wanting to give up any kind of a draft pick to get him from the Pats. Well, the problem with Mallet is, is exactly what's helping Johnny Menzel right now
2: is the NFL is starting to turn towards this mobile quarterback more and more with the read option. We've seen it with uh, you know Russell Wilson, the Super Bowl, MVP, no, Super Bowl MVP, but Super Bowl champion last year. Uh, of course, uh, Colin Kaepernick and um, RG three and of course Cam Newton these these new guys that are that are coming into the NFL and are dual threats and you look at a guy like Ryan Mallett who a couple years ago before all this started to happen was was seen as a a higher rated draft pick the Patriots were lucky to get him in the third uh, third round at number seventy five overall but now he's that classic drop back passer that people seem to be moving away from me. He's that classic, tall, Peyton Manning, Drew Bledsoe type of guy. And, you know, had this draft been taken over back in 2011 when he was drafted, you know, maybe he goes a little higher. And a guy like Johnny Manziel goes a little lower. Now with all these these running quarterbacks, dual threat quarterbacks, a guy like Johnny Manziel who makes as much plays with his feet as he does with his arms,
3: is seen with scouts to be a little better than he actually is, so. CLMS Radio's Patriot Speak is brought to you by CLS Radio's Celtic Speak. Every Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock, definitely check out CLMS Radio's Celtics Speak. In fact, I would download, if I were you right now, I would go ahead and download yesterday's show of Celtic Speak. They had Sean Grady, the, the voice of the Celtics, on with them. A phenomenal show. CLMSRadio.com, you got to check out Celtic Speak. Joining us on the phone right now is Daniel Jeremiah, who is an NFL Network analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at at sticks. You can see Daniel Monday through Friday on NFL Network's Pass the Draft at 7 p.m. Eastern Time along with Charles Davis. For all the latest news and analysis leading up to the draft, visit NFL.com slash CFB and follow them on Twitter at NFL underscore CFB and download the College Football 24-7 podcast on NFL.com and on iTunes.
2: Daniel, in your latest mock draft, you have the past selecting uh, Rashid Hegman, who I believe is kind of raw. Sell me on him, because I'm I'm just looking at him and I'm I'm seeing a raw player who's got size, but I don't know what else.
3: Yeah, he's got size. He's 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 a pretty good athlete, and um, you see flashes of him, and that's what that's what you get excited about. It's just you, know, you have to look back and, and look at Don Terry Poe when he was coming out not too long ago a player that people said the same things. Well, oh, he's big and he's athletic, but I just, you know, I don't see it. I don't see the production. I don't see him dominating football games. Uh, at, at some point in time, the, there's guys just have the, some rare traits. and He's got rare size. He's got rare athletic ability. Has, has, has he put it together? No. If he had put it all together, it would be a top ten pick. Um, you, you got something to work with, though, and I think it's hard to find guys with that kind of a frame with that kind of tools and when you watch him on tape, I mean, I, even the Iowa game, the Iowa game, you watch it for three and a half quarters. He does not do a whole heck of a lot. And then the last half quarter of the game, he makes four or five plays that are wild plays. And you go, okay, we have something to work with. Uh, and I think where the Patriots are right now, they, they have a solid front, but they've got age there. They don't have to rush in, you know, they don't have to be a hero year one. They've got time to develop a player like that. And if you trust your program, and you've got something to work with. That's why I have him going there.
1: Daniel Salon here. You mentioned in an earlier draft another lineman, and Jeff and I are both on page uh, page one with you on it, it either being an offensive or a defensive lineman. Uh, you mentioned the X-Man out of UCLA, Xavier Suafilo. Um, you use Logan Megans as a reference. How do the two compare? Well,
3: you know, Logan Magans coming out was one of my favorite players in that draft. I was scouting with the Ravens at the time. And uh we, we were given, as scouts, you're given one red star you could put on any player in the draft class and just say, hey, this is my favorite player. I'd, I'd love to have him on our team. And I, I put mine on Logan Mankins because of the way he played with his temperament. And I think temperament-wise, he's very similar to Suofilo. Suofilo's got a nasty demeanor. Um There is a little bit of comparison because they had both played tackle. Uh Logan was a much better tackle than Xavier was. Xavier had to play it a little bit this year out of need, Uh, because they had some injuries out there. He had to kick out. He's much more natural, much more comfortable at guard. Uh, But both guys have quick feet. I'd give X a little bit of an edge in the foot quickness, but very strong hands and and, and smart, intelligent players, clean character off the field. Uh, I think there are a lot of uh, uh, characteristics these guys share.
2: Excellent observation there. The Texans, of course, have the first pick in the draft, and to Davian Clowney, looks to be the guy that he's going to go with. But if they decided to go quarterback, there's Blake Bortles and, of course, Johnny Manziel out there, who's the better fit, who's the better prospect, and if not, who's a good guy, a third option for them?
3: Well, I don't know that any of those top three guys are, are just ideal fits for them. I mean, I'd say, you know, you would say Bortles with his style and size fits more of a Bill O'Brien-type quarterback, um, but I think he's more raw than the other two guys up there when you talk about Manziel and Bridgewater – um, and that's why, I mean, I think it just makes too much sense for them just to take Clowney and wait it out for the quarterbacks at the top of the second round where they have guys that can kind of fit what they do, uh, might need a little bit of time to develop. But then you're talking about the Tom Savages, you're talking about the, the Zach Mettenbergers, big, strong guys that kind of fit that mold that O'Brien's used to, but guys that need a little bit of development.
1: You know, Bill Belichick is known for – for doing what no one expects him to do in the draft, Daniel, and and looking at this year's draft as high up our, as they are in the draft, do you think they'll hold on to that first-round pick or move out and try and get some extra picks either this year or next year when they have fewer draft picks?
3: I think they'll have an opportunity to get out because, uh, you know, we've talked about this second wave of quarterbacks, and uh, we can kind of talk about them going off at the top of the second round, especially if teams – you know, that need quarterbacks in the top of round one pass on them. When you talk about Houston, you talk about Jacksonville, Cleveland, Oakland, if those teams all pass on a quarterback round one, they'd be in the market for quarterbacks in round two. However, it might make more sense for them to trade up just a little bit to get into the back end of round one because they can get an extra year on that contract is the way it's structured. So uh, that's something I would keep an eye on. I think if the Patriots want to move back and get a couple extra picks, they probably have the opportunity to do so.
2: We always know that the Patriots like to trade out of the first round or at least trade back and gather more picks. But another need of a lot of our listeners look at is is the tight end position with Rob Gronkowski being, you know, a little bit injury prone over the last year. And there's three uh, four players that have first round grades in um Ebron, Amaro, Jenkins, and of course Nicholas out of uh out of Notre Dame. Out of all of them, who could still be there in the second round when the New England Patriots have to pick? And the second part to that question is a local product, Rob Blanchflower, out of UMass. What do you think of him?
3: Well, you know, start with well, who, who could be there uh, when they pick there in the second round. You know, I, I think you know, Eric Ebron is going to be long gone. I think Austin Safarian Jenkins will be long gone. There's a slight chance Jason Morrow will be there, but I'd say probably he will be gone as well. The one I would keep an eye on uh, of that group is Troy Nicholas from Notre Dame. And uh, he's a player with outstanding size, um, it was an offensive lineman in high school. A lot of people recruited him to play tackle in college. Um, so he does, you know, in terms of the group, he's one of the better blockers of the group. Just not not an explosive athlete, big guy with really strong hands. Uh, I think you've got something to work with there. I think he'd fit in as a second round option there. Branch Flower, to me, just a little bit down the line from from, from this group of tight ends. There's there's a whole host of guys that have different skill sets. I prefer Crockett Gilmore over Blanchflower. Crockett Gilmore's out of uh, Colorado State. Um, I think it gives just a little bit more. I think, branchflower you're looking at somebody that's probably um, ticketed for that fifth, sixth-round area.
1: A lot of people are referring to this as a deep draft. Do you think it really is a deep draft? I think it's deep. At some positions, at others, it's not not so much. So
3: I've had teams that are in need of, of edge pass rushers and inside linebackers, and they, they, some friends that work for those organizations call me and say, will you guys stop saying this is the deepest draft in the last decade? There are no no inside linebackers, so it kind of comes down to what you need. I, I will say the receiver position, extremely deep. Corner, a whole lot of corners. The quarterback position where we don't have the, the big-time star at the top, there there are a whole number of guys. So I think deep at certain positions, others not so much.
2: Well, you said that they're deep at the wide receiver position, and, and obviously they are with so many underclassmen classmen coming up this year. The New England Patriots last year, selected two wide receivers in the second and fourth rounds in, in uh, Dobson and Boyce and then, of course, brought in uh, Campbell Tompkins. Can you see them making a, a play at another wide receiver, or do you think they stay status quo?
3: Well, I think maybe uh, in a middle-round guy, just to add another guy into the mix, because it's a talented group, you can get a receiver maybe in the fourth round that you in other years might have been a second-round pick. But they just spent so much time invested in these three young guys coming into year two, and there's so much uh, to learn inside that system. I don't see them, you know, pulling reps from them to give them to somebody else at this point in time. I think you'll look like we talked about earlier to go big offense or defensive line early, and then if they want to get some depth at the position or somebody to work with, uh, there'll be some good receiver
1: options in those middle rounds. Looking at the the running back position, the the Pats have lost Blunt now. They and my partner's going to love this, they need another <laughs> running back. He's a, he believes that the running back is the most important position next to the quarterback in football. And I know there's a lot that, that disagree with that, but there are some running backs late in the round. Do you see any that possibly would be someone the Pats would be interested in?
3: Are you talking about late in the first round or late in the draft? Uh, late in the draft, rather. I'm Sorry. Oh, yeah, late, late in the draft, I mean, there's going to be a whole host of options at the position. I think the running back's position is actually, is pretty deep. You know, I, I think the value in my mind is in those middle rounds and those third or fourth rounds. I look at a guy like Isaiah Crowell, um, who, was a transfer from Georgia, uh, who has a lot of ability. Uh, he's somebody that probably is going to go in that fourth round range considering all the other backs we have in this draft. He's somebody that's got some explosiveness, has some burst. Uh, he'd be one that I'd be very interested in. Um, we've got McKinnon, the kid from Georgia Southern, uh, who's athletic, has a burst to him. He's another one that's going to be one of those mid-round picks. Uh, and, and once these big guys go, we have the three big backs. We talk about Carlos Hyde, Jeremy Hill, and Terrence West from Townsend. Once those guys go, then I think you're going to see a run on the smaller guys, and that's where you get your Bishop Shan- Bishop Sankey, you get your Trey Mason, uh, you get your Kadeem Terry from Arizona. Kadim Terry could be an outstanding value because he didn't run well, ran in the four sevens but he plays much faster than that. He's rushed for a zillion yards over the last two years at Arizona. He's somebody that's probably going to be in that fourth-round range as well.
2: I tell you, I love that Jeremy Hill kid, because I'm a big fan of the running game, as Bob just said, and I did a lot of looking at J.C. Copeland, the the fullback, because I love the fullback position. So I think Jeremy Hill is an ideal fit. And I'd also like to see Copeland, but I expect him to be a – undrafted rookie free agent
3: yeah the fullback position there's just not a lot of teams that are that are using it the teams that are using it they're looking for those guys that are kind of multiple uh guys that could play you know could play some h-backs and tight end and could also line up at fullback so i think copeland to me is more of just a pure fullback kind of a, you remind me of a poor man's McLean who we drafted when i was in baltimore and was bounced around a little bit but uh the big dude no doubt
1: we had we had jerry thornton on the show a little while ago and he had mentioned uh, Dominique Easley from Florida as he felt he was going to be the Bats' first pick. What, what are your thoughts on Easley?
3: Easley, you know, it's coming off of an injury, and if not for injury, he'd be talked about a lot more in this draft cycle because he is explosive. Uh, not quite as explosive as Aaron Donald, but not far behind him. I'd say he's the second uh, most dynamic interior player in the draft. Very quick first step. He's, there's times if his lack of size shows up and he'll get washed down a lot of scrimmage against the run but very disruptive, just a penetrating interior defender.
2: Excellent. Final question for me, Daniel. Um, you uh, you were a scout for the Baltimore Ravens. What was it like working for and learning under Ozzie Newsome, who is one of the best talent evaluators in the NFL?
3: Well, it was like getting a, a, a master's education in evaluating. I mean, to to be able to, <laughs> to to work there, spent four years there. In the first two years, everybody that gets hired there, they don't hire veteran scouts who have worked other places. They bring in young guys. You spend two years in the facility where you're working on, you know, pro scouting on your opponents. And But what you're doing is you're sitting in film sessions, you know, all the time with Ozzy and with the personnel staff, and they really train you. They spend the time uh, to teach you the way they do business, and it was a, a very valuable education, to say the least.
1: Well, let me throw out my last question, because the person I picked we haven't even mentioned, so I'm I'm feeling kind of buried here. <laughs> what about, what about Stefan Truitt? What do, you, uh, do you think much of him yep. or not?
3: No, I liked him a lot off of last year's tape. Didn't play quite as well this year. Um, I think he's somebody that has a little more pass rush uh, ability than people give him credit for. Um, He's he's somebody that if if you're in a 3-4 defense or if you play with a 5 technique, which is somebody head up over the tackle, um, I I think you're going to be a team that's very intrigued by him because of his size, length, and pass rush potential.
2: Well, Daniel, thank you very much for joining CLNS Radio's Patriots Beat. And we'll definitely be – Looking out for more of your mock drafts and then your analysis after the draft. Thank you very much.
3: I appreciate it, guys. Take care.
2: Thanks, thank You too.
3: No problem. Interview with Daniel Jeremiah was brought to you by Phoenix Radio's Bruins post-game show. Join us this afternoon after the Bruins play the Detroit Red Wings in Game 2 of the Stanley Cup first-round playoffs. Of course, the Bruins coming off a one to nothing loss in game one. They look to bounce back against these evil Detroit Red Wings and even the series up one game to one going into Joe Lewis Arena come Tuesday night. Join myself and Kevin Maggiore as we break down all of the Boston Brewers playoff action for you. And we'll be joined by Jared Weiss from the TD Bank Garden locker room after the game. He'll give us all the quotes that you need to hear. And check us out as well on YouTube, www. YouTube.com slash CLS Radio. Jared's going to have some great stuff up there for you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Patriots Beat here on CNSRadio.com. Please give us a follow on Twitter, if you will, at at Patriots Beat. Bob and I will return next Sunday live to talk more about the New England Patriots offseason and, of course, the NFL draft, which kicks off on May 8th. A lot of exciting things happening there. Normally we end the show listening to the Standells' Dirty Water as that of course has become an unofficial sports anthem in Boston but today we leave you with a dedication to the greatest city in America Boston, Massachusetts Tomorrow of course is Patriots Day a day that represents the beginnings of the American Revolutionary War a war that helped America gain its freedom from England. A war that started the democracy that our country is built on, and for 114-plus years, the Boston Marathon has been run on Patriots Day. Of course, last year, two cowards decided it would be a great idea to put some pressure cookers behind innocent people and cause many, many injuries, as well as three deaths and not the deaths of military personnel who put their lives on the line every day for us so that we can remain free, but on innocent spectators. Crystal Marie Campbell, a 29-year-old restaurant manager from Medford, Massachusetts, lost her life last year. Lou Lingzi, a grad student at Boston University from China, who also lost her life last year. And who can forget Martin Richard? An 8-year-old boy who wanted nothing more than to spend the day with his family watching the Boston Marathon at the finish line and cheering it on with his sister, his mother, and his father. And he is no longer with us because of an act of two cowards, an act of terrorism that is just grotesque and disgusting. Of course, a few days later, MIT police officer Sean Collier was gunned down by these two Useless human beings. Two people that don't even even deserve a breath of mentioning their names. We'll just call them Speed Bump because that's what he became. And Ship Stained because of the blood that was all over a boat that he was found in. And maybe this isn't politically correct, but you attacked the greatest city in the world. And you didn't attack people that deserve it. You attacked innocent people. But the resilience of Boston, Massachusetts, came back. Boston Strong has taken on a name of itself. So many people were injured. So many people lost limbs. But those people today are going to run. And those nurses and doctors at all the hospitals that saved lives, we need to celebrate them. The first responders, the EMS, the fire department, the Boston Police Department, and even some of the runners that had just finished a grueling 26.2-mile run were able to help out their fellow man. So in the memory of the people that we lost, I ask for a moment of silence. This outro is dedicated to every man, woman, and child who has ever lived in Boston has grown up in Boston has grown up in Massachusetts and New England and in America and who fights day in and day out to remain free Boston it's the city of champions and we will always remain Boston Strong
2: Let us, let us go forth.
0: To lead the land we love, land we love land. Where are you from? Massachusetts Boston Boston, Massachusetts Boston, Boston. Massachusetts USA. If you could only see I love this place I know you would agree Make it Boston There ain't nowhere else to be This is our city. Massachusetts
2: Boston, strong For all right orders to the sail back to Boston. You and I
3: come back to Boston, Massachusetts. Boston is a top in resilient town for so its people.
0: This is a real, truly live
3: place. And
2: a
0: place so warm and real she wears a red dust cap. So where are you from? Boston. She comes from Boston. Man. She comes from Boston. We hot. There's in the air, not too
3: far from the car.
0: On. It is a, a great pleasure to come back to a city where my accent is considered normal. I know you are all wicked happy to be here. The city
2: of Boston. Where every street is history's home. Boston.
0: This is where America was shaped. Boston. 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 Massachusetts. The city on a hill. We like Boston. I spent ten years here in Boston. And those are the ten best years of my life. And I
2: dedicated my life
0: to
2: the fans of Boston. Boston.
3: I imagine playing anywhere the
2: boss. This hallowed ground that gave birth to these enduring American ideals. One if by land, two if by sea. And the roots of
3: that America are planted deep in New England soil. You watch know the Red Sox at Fenway? The Red Sox? I grew up at Fenway. Maybe all at head to Boston. Leave, come to Boston, live forever.
0: Come home to Boston, beam down. It's a beautiful city. Boston. Where's
2: your next? Boston. It's home. It's good to be home.
3: I'm a born friend.
0: Take
3: me home.
2: Good night, you kings of New England.
1: Boston is the greatest city in the world.
3: I God, I miss Boston. What do you want to do? Go on back to Boston. And hey, look
0: at you in the, in the home. We are Boston. We are one family. Thank you, Boston. Uh, I love you. This is for you, Boston.